0: to the week one nfl single entry strategy show i'm here with jm to win from oneweekseason.com jam it's it's been a long
1: time yeah man i'm uh i'm excited my face lit up when you pressed record it's first Rotor grinders podcast in since 2017 i guess so yeah it's uh it's fun to be here i'm super excited to be doing this Super excited to be working with you because you're, in my opinion, we were talking before the show, one of the sharpest DFS players out there, always had a ton of respect for you. Super excited to pick your brain on on strategy, single entry stuff this week and throughout the season.
0: Uh, Thank you. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we worked together back in like 2016, 2017, um, and I've been a huge fan of your content, like your long form content, I think is one of the biggest edges out there in terms of NFL DFS, I mean, it's the primary, like, actual game players, you know, and and strategy content that I consume. And I think there's a a huge edge in long form content, because people tend to just want very, you know, quick hitting things like, just give me a TikTok with like the best quarterbacks or whatever, right? And like, you are a novelist, and you actually, (laughs) you know, you write like long form content. I think it's incredible. Um, So yeah, big fan of the site.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But the the there's so many topics that you really have to get four or five layers deep in in DFS. And so from a writing standpoint, from a reader standpoint, you do have to be willing to kind of read that longer content that layers all of those thoughts in and pulls them all together well. And it, yeah, and I think that a lot of especially as like DFS starts to get younger and younger, right over the years, more and more young people will come in and they're less and less used to reading long form content. I think that that's an edge to have that then also just from a a deeper standpoint just the idea of (laughs) focusing on strategy instead of plays we were talking before, before the show about uh like just player picks and we were saying like we'd be happy playing against somebody who has the best play week in and week out because if you just have the best play but you're not putting it on the best roster if you don't know how to put together a winning roster you don't have an edge and so that that idea of like putting yourself in position to learn all these other layers of DFS, which obviously any of you watching the show, that's part of what we're going to be doing throughout the season. It'll be, we're going to record on Fridays. I don't know. I'm guessing it's coming out on Fridays or Saturdays the show, but we'll be focused on that week's slate and single entry, but also kind of talking theory and strategy and, um, and yeah, hopefully learning from each other about how to be better DFS players.
0: Yeah. And that's actually transitions really well into single entry. Cause I, I think it's, one of the most exploitable contest types that are out there. Like I, I, I round road grinders. I'm kind of known as like the live final guy. And a lot like people asking, well, "What is it about live finals that you love?" A lot of times, it's just that I've won a bunch of seats to them in like single entry qualifiers. And you know, I like single entry as like looking up my my ROI for like baseball this season on DraftKings. It's it's triple digits. Like double digits is good. Like ten percent on single entry or you know on any any kind of contest. You know terms of profit is great like my my roi for baseball for DraftKings and single entry contests like single entry gpps is like 120 and I, I looked it up last year i put like twenty thousand dollars in the single entry DraftKings gpps for nfl at like a 30 percent roi i mean that's a lot of money and was on fanduel it was like 230 percent roi i mean and obviously that comes from like winning one of like the single entry gpps but there's a bunch of reasons why I think single-entry GPPs are the most exploitable contest out there, and it's just people are rolling optimal plays and their cash lineups into into these contests, and that's that's very exploitable. Like that's not what you want to do. It's, this is a top-heavy tournament, you know, format. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited that we're going to be doing like a single-entry tournament strategy show because I think. That can really help people build a big bankroll.
1: Yeah, the the and that was how I started my bankroll early on was like smaller field single entry on on Draft Street, rest in peace. And I think that the the approach that so many people take to DFS just because of the marketing angle of like put in twenty bucks win a million is so incorrect. And because of that, that carries over to the the approach that people take to single entry is so incorrect. And like you said, they'll put in their cash game lineups or they'll put in the optimals. And then also what I found is, so I was drafting for the underdog puppy last night. And you ever get in that mode where you're kind of in, like you're in the zone and you're in attack mode and you're not really worrying about what could happen negatively, but only seeing what could happen positively with these things. And it's just like, sharp pick after sharp pick. And you know that it might not play out, right? But they're all plus EV. And I was thinking about just the difference between the $25 BBM and the $5 puppy. And if I'm entering the BBM, I know, that, I know that I'm going to put in 150 rosters. So that's about four grand. But I also know that I only get those 150 rosters. So I'll sometimes get in that mode where I'm like, oh, but I don't want to waste a roster if I'm wrong on this guy. And when I'm sitting there in, in the puppy where it's Five dollars, and I'm just played the mastiff and dropped five k in that. I just dropped four k in the BBM. I'm like, I'm like, I don't care if I lose this five dollars. I'm like, way more aggressive just in my mindset. And I think that we see in you know that's what the sharpest 150 max players are able to do all the time, week in and week out, is have that approach, that mindset. And we see people in single entry basically think, well, this is my one roster, so I have to play the best plays, and they're that much less willing to embrace. The plays that maybe are really good that and that's the great thing about single entry especially in smaller field is you can find really good plays that other people aren't on you don't have to take some crazy play it's just other people are so concerned to go off the board because it's their one roster or as you get into higher buy-ins it's it's single entry and high buy-in and so it's like you have this extra maneuvering space to say what is the edge in this contest? And let me move a little bit off the board, a little bit more off the board. But there's there's an edge in these contests that is more predictable and more bankable than in large field. Because in large field with 150 max players, you know that all these different bases are going to be covered. In single entry, you know all these other bases are not going to be covered. You have so much to choose from to say, Okay, do I want to pick this great spot over here that people are not? In this great spot over here. Do I want to build around this game in a particular way that other people aren't building around it? And yeah, you kind of figure out what the field is going to do a lot more easily.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's going to be depending on the the size of the field and the buy-in, like there's vi- very viable players that are just not even owned, like not not at all, owned, like zero percent owned. <laughs> and you know, like sometimes those guys have a chance to break the slate. Like it. Um, it's funny because I'm I'm still transitioning from like baseball um, mindset to football mindset. And, that, and that's actually a, a difficult thing for me in week one of NFL is I tend to go way too off the board. It's like in in baseball, like it's my single entry strategy will sometimes just be like, I'm not going to play the chalk stack. Like, I don't care who it is. Like, because the, the better position the chalk stack is in, the higher they're going to be owned. And you, you'll see these stacks. Like DraftKings had a million maker for baseball last night. Milwaukee was in course Field and the stack was like 30% owned. I mean, that's, and that's crazy. Like they, the Milwaukee, there's 22 teams playing. They don't have a yeah. 30% chance of being the highest scoring team. And, and they were not. I mean, you know, obviously they scored some runs, but you know, they're not going to be the highest scoring team 30% of the time. It's going to be more like 8%, you know, if there's 22 teams. Um, And then, but I get, so I'm, I'm so contrarian in baseball that then when football season starts, I, I'm like a little bit too contrarian. And I, I think that, that, you know, that's kind of where you need to find, like, the, the sweet spot is, like, in, in baseball, I'm just satisfied, like, throwing out all the chalk and saying, like, I, my single-entry team is going to be a team that doesn't have, you know, two stacks that are not the highest-owned stack. Football, I don't think you necessarily need to, like, automatically, you know, th- throw out the top-owned quarterback or, or even throw out the top-owned defense, depending on the situation. I'd probably be much more likely to throw up the top-owned defense. Right. (laughs) That scoring can be very variable, right? Um, But, like, yeah, a lot of times, like, if Patrick Mahomes is the top-owned quarterback and he's got, like, the highest point total, like, the highest, like, implied point total, like, yeah, maybe I want to stick with Mahomes, but maybe I'm not going to pair him with Travis Kelsey.
1: Yeah, and and I think that... Two of the things in there. One of the things was when you were talking about the just being contrarian in MLB, it made me think about Jonathan Bales used to say that DFS is not about scoring the most points. It's about winning. And when I would look back when I was playing MLB day in and day out, all of my biggest wins, all my qualifier wins, all my first place finishes, all my big caches were all – slates on which my winning score was lower than the typical winning score so it wasn't like I was out predicting the field and just getting this banging stack that nobody had it was that I was on different things than the field was on so on the days where everything fell apart for the field I was now in position to benefit from that and then the other thing that was making me think about was you might have seen this today in the angles email if you get that but every week at ows i send out an email that kind of breaks down the strategy on the slate and i think that this week let's talk about this week for a moment because it's really it's unique and it's interesting this piggybacks off of what you were talking about i'm very curious your thoughts is what i was saying was we have two factors in play and that is we have two games the uh vegas and chargers game and then the chiefs and uh, arizona game where the over-under is so much higher than everything else. It's 52 and 53 and a half. And then nine of the other 13 games are at 45 or below. But on the flip side of that, week one lines are inherently less predictable. And every year, there's going to be one or two of these lower total games that are much higher scoring than people expect. So how do we handle that? Well, the answer is it totally depends, right? So what I said in, in the email, actually, you can find it in, in the scroll on OWS as well. But what I said was basically you if you're in smaller field contests, you can understand that there's not enough people taking shots at these lower games. And so you can take you can say, look, these top two games are so much better than the other games on paper. And so I can build around these games more intelligently than other people are building around them and not have to waste my time trying to make mistakes down at the bottom. Let other people make mistakes trying to guess on these games that'll blow up at the bottom. But as you get into larger and larger field contests, and there's a sliding scale, but as you get into larger and larger field contests, the likelihood that somebody else finds that game at the bottom that blows up, goes up more and more and more. And so in those types of contests, you have to say, look, first place is going to be covered more than likely by somebody who found that game, that spot, that player that nobody was on. And so if I'm not hunting for that, I'm giving up my path to first place. If I'm just sticking with the obviously best game, I'm giving up first place because somebody else is going to find that. So that's one of the great things about single entry is, again, you can predict with much higher degree of accuracy which players are going to kind of be covered, right? Like if you were in a single entry contest, was that three years ago when Tariq Cohen came out of nowhere and had a monster week one? Well, you don't have to worry about it. I can't tell you how often... I've had weekends where 90% of my money is in single entry and some guy goes off and I'm like, I don't care. Like it doesn't affect me at all. Cause nobody is going to have this guy in the contest I'm in. But if you're in the Millymaker, if you're in the slant, if you're in these larger field contests, immediately, you know, you're dead because somebody has that player that you don't have. And it's probably somebody who has them on a really sharp roster that makes sense in other spots as well. So yeah, that's the great thing is, is you can, be less contrarian. And, and because there's so little discussion around this, people just don't really understand where that middle ground is in single entry.
0: Yeah. I, I think about it in terms of like, you're saying like, let's say you're in a 10 man contest, right? Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to be 90% owned. Like literally every single person is going to have Mahomes like, but you think he's going to be the best quarterback. Like, do you play him? Like, there's no way you play. Him. Like you, No matter how convinced you are, like if you know his ownership is going to be 90%, you have to play somebody else. Like, just realistically, right? Like, because if if Mahomes is the best quarterback that week, you still have to beat out nine other teams. But if, like, if you pick anybody else, right, like, and they outscore Mahomes, like, you've got an edge on 90% of the field. And that's why I think you need to think about ownership and why, like, when ownership gets like out. You know, out of whack in single entry. Like you need to be able to to just pivot, no matter how confident you are in the players. Like the players almost don't matter at that point. You have to be thinking about ownership, and you have to be you know in single entries where you, especially like high dollar single entry, um, or like low you know low low amount of entries, single entries where you see ownership just just get out of whack. Uh, having said that, I was actually looking back at week one of last season, and I saw like Mahomes and Kelsey where it Mahomes and, and Tyreek Hills are guys you had to have. Um, I, I oh, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But guys kind of developing these thoughts, looking at this week, and then I was like, well, what happened like week one of, of last
1: season? And like, that's a, like, the hardest was, thing about NFL from a mindset standpoint. Like, if you're watching this and you only play NFL, and I only play NFL at this point, because I'm the reason I started OWS in part was because I wanted to have an extra four months of the year to focus on writing. So I kind of work on OWS seven, eight months of the year. I work on writing the, the rest of the year. And so I'm either working on OWS or playing NFL DFS or writing. So I'm not playing MLB anymore. So if you're in the same boat as me, one of the hardest things is you have a bad weekend and you have to wait a whole another week for another site. And you can play showdowns and you can play afternoon sites and you can do all this stuff, but that concept of having to wait another week. And so that can make you play a little bit tighter, like. It, to make it harder to be like, I'm gonna move off of these quote, obviously best guys. And then also it makes it harder when the mathematically smart thing to do is, for example, not play Mahomes and and Tyree Kill, but they hit, right? And then you have to wait a whole week to take another shot on guys that other people aren't on. And so once you kind of understand the long-term view and the the basically the expected value breakdown of what you're doing it becomes so much easier to be like well shrug it off right like that's going to happen sometimes these high-owned guys are going to hit because they're good plays right they're they're good plays that's why they're high-owned it's not like we're saying they're bad plays we're just saying the field is overestimating the chances of them hitting so john gave the example of mahomes at at, on nine out of ten teams right if he's 90 percent owned in this contest you don't have to find the guy who's you know the, you don't have to find Nick Foles filling in and hope he has a good game, right? The thing is, yes, Mahomes might have the best shot at the best score, but maybe Justin Herbert has the second best shot at the best score. And Mahomes is you know 9% likely to have the best score on the slate and Herbert 7% likely to have the best score on the slate. So when you take those factors and you say, well, if I'm getting a 90% to 10% ownership gap and the difference in, in chance of them hitting is 9% to 7%, well, now I'm making money over time. It doesn't mean Mahomes isn't going to hit. It doesn't mean you think he's in a bad spot. You might think he's in the nut spot. You might have had a dream where your great-great-grandmother came to you and told you that Mahomes was going to have the game of his career. You still don't play him because the uh, just the math doesn't make sense at that point. And that's where the thinking has to come in of like that if we stop thinking about DFS as a game of picking players and start thinking about DFS as a game of how we put those players onto rosters, we gain so much ground in the field, and again, especially in single entry where you have you're competing against the people who have the biggest edge can still only put in one roster. So the smartest DFS players, the sharpest DFS players, they can still only put in one roster. They can still only cover those nine bases on their roster. And so that just leaves so much opportunity for messing around with them because you know that most of the field is just going to congregate on these spots. I'm curious your thoughts on any of that, but also I I wanted to ask you, is there anything in particular that you do for single entry ownership projections um, in your mind or on paper or anything to kind of get like a sense, or is it just by feel of, of, oh, this guy's chalky, he'll be even more chalky in single entry? It's
0: just by feel. And then that's literally Exactly what it is is I, I if this guy is chalky, I know he's going to be more chalky in single entry, and it I think there is the mindset of like from the most beginning player to the most advanced, like there is that feeling in single entry. Well, I only get one lineup, right? Like I don't want to waste this lineup, and so like I if if this guy is projected really high, I just can't I just can't feed him, and then well, you get these guys that are eighty like percent owned in in smaller field, uh, and there's just no justification, like no. It's gonna be very, very rare you find a player that's gonna hit like eighty percent of the time. You um, know, like I was looking at like quarterback this week, right? Is just it's wide open. But like I think people are going to gravitate to Mahomes and um, and Hurts uh, because you know they're the, the highest projected guys. But I, it's wide open. Like we know nothing about these teams. Like we think we know a lot. Like we followed everything that happened. We watched the draft and we followed coaching changes. We don't know anything, right? Like like these, you know, the, we're gonna be shocked at what we picked this week when we look at the end of the season like if we look at back at week one at week 18 we're gonna be like like oh yeah yeah that was like the one week the guy was healthy you know like no like these guys we know nothing (laughs) right um so
1: it's almost it's almost hard to believe that right now because we've spent so much time thinking we know all these things right and And then again four weeks from now we're all going to feel like idiots about so many of these things
0: yeah. The, and the more time you put into it, the more confidence you have, like, no, okay, I yeah. know exactly what's going to happen. No, you haven't, you have no idea. Um, I, I have no idea. Nobody has any idea. Um, and like, there's, there's so many opportunities, like, like Janius Winston, um, you know, New Orleans could have a really good, good offense. Um, like Pittsburgh. Phenomenal. Yeah. Like Pittsburgh's got a lot of really good pieces, but like nobody's going to play like Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, like they're, they're cheap. And like some of these quarterbacks are actually really cheap and are in just not, I don't want to say they're in just as good of, you know position, but like our con- conception of their position is nowhere near as good as it actually is when we're looking at like Patrick Mahomes. And um, I do, I mean, I like that, like the Chargers Vegas game. That's the, you know, the other game that has the high, the high point total, but I I'd, I'd almost be surprised if, if like it would not be a surprise if neither of those two games is the highest scoring game on the week.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And, and it could be, you know, look at last year was San Francisco and, and Detroit, you know, it was 41 to 33. It was 74 combined points. And if you played that game, TJ Hawkinson put up a monster game against this tough 49ers defense, then you were, you were sitting pretty. And and again, if you're in like a limited entry, single uh, limited entry, single entry contest, smaller field, single entry contest, you probably don't have to worry about finding that game but you just have to think about what is everybody else congregating on and do things differently. You know, when you said that about how little we know, I don't know if you remember when I used to write the, you know, like the week 14 in which such and such articles at Rotor Grinders would feature them on the homepage and I'd have a little story at the beginning and then tie them into plays. And the very first article I ever wrote in 2014, the whole focus was on how little we know in week one and maybe it was 2015 and and that was when like all the stuff was going on with oh is dfs a skill game and blah blah blah. and i and i got talked to at roto grinders about like well we can't really take this exact angle because if we say that we don't know what's happening it goes against the argument that it's a skill game and that was you know 2014 2015 thinking where it was like you know the skill is predicting the players and so if we say we don't know what's going to happen then that's like saying well you guys are in, in, you know, making these decisions and lawmakers, whatever, are correct. It's not a skill game. We don't know anything. And realistically, obviously, our thinking has developed industry-wide, but realistically, that is the edge, is saying, that is what makes it a skill game, is the ability to say, we don't know, and how do we benefit from that? And then, again, this balance of how far down that path do we have to go in the contest type that we're playing, and I think also, you know, one of the things I would encourage if you're watching this, there's a tendency, DFS is aspirational in a way. You watch somebody and you're like, oh, I'd i like to be home all day and do sports stuff and like play DFS. You see Squirrel has 50 live final, 50 plus live final appearances. And you're like, oh, I want to I do that. And so the tendency is to then try to do that. It's to try to enter... Everything and be like a full-on DFS player, but there's nothing wrong with finding what you're really good at and sticking to that. I was talking about this on a podcast yesterday on on OWS. My first year playing, I probably won like 120 to 140 thousand in MLB on Draft Street and DraftKings, and I probably gave back about 50k of that on FanDuel. That was when FanDuel was single pitcher. And the scoring structure was different. And it was not for me. And I was like, we're competitors, right? So I was just like, I'm going to solve this game. I am not going to give up until I solve it. I didn't cash a single time and just flushed tons of money back being like, I'm going to figure this out. Realistically, what you need to do is find what best fits your strengths and stick to that. Because not everybody is going to, especially if you've got a full-time job, a wife, kids, you've got life going on, you might not be able to be super sharp at putting in a bunch of lineups and a bunch of different styles of contests. But if you instead say, okay, I'm going to focus on one style of contest, for example, single entry, then you can develop your roster around that. doesn't mean you have to play only one roster per week either. If you're trying to, to develop your single entry play, you can enter five, eight different single entry contests, put in three or four different lineups or five to eight different lineups. If you want, maybe have them play off of each other in some way, right? Like, well, I'm betting on like I had a, a wildcat win a couple of years ago, where I put 19 rosters into play and I was betting on the Jags passing attack in that game. So I had like seven rosters that were built around the Jags passing attack, but I was like, okay, if this bet fails, then what hits as a result, Well, if this bet fails, then that's probably because Fournette's having a bigger game. It was was Jags and Titans. So I figured points were going to be scored. So I had Fournette on like three or four rosters. And that was the reason that I won that week. Wasn't because I was betting on the Jags passing attack, but because I was also betting on how I could benefit if I was wrong on that bet. So you can do that with your single entry, right? You can still put in multiple rosters and be like, okay, let me play these rosters off each other a little bit, but just focus on something and find something that you can be really good at and then branch out from there. There's Nothing wrong with not trying to be squirrel and like win qualifiers and single entry and all these other contest types in a single week. It's it's not, not everybody has the time to do that. Not everybody has the mindset to do that. So find what you're good at and then develop that and then keep branching out from there.
0: Yeah, I bring up a couple of good points. I think like the differences in, and I think it's, it's actually very relevant for single entry, the differences between the two sites, not just in terms of scoring, but in terms of salary cap. You see like FanDuel, uh, you know, running quarterbacks are, are much more viable, I think, in in Fanduel, uh, and you know because they're you're not getting points per reception, so the the score overall scores tend to be lower. So like if a so those rushing yards are even more important. Uh, for and no three
1: point bonus for the hundred for the three hundred yards. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah.
0: yeah, and then you get yeah you get the three point bonus for on DraftKings for three hundred yards. So like I, I like you know like you know you look at like maybe a Matt Ryan or a Winston that's gonna. Have a a shot at 300 yards, uh, but that's much more valuable on DraftKings, where those guys are like a much smaller portion of the salary cap compared to the more higher priced quarterbacks on DraftKings. On FanDuel, salary is much softer, it's like you can afford to pay up at quarterback much more often. Like, I I feel like I always see like lower priced quarterbacks on DraftKings hitting, whereas like higher priced quarterbacks uh, on FanDuel, and like I tend to gravitate way more to the higher priced quarterbacks on FanDuel because I'm just getting more, even like single entry or 150 max. Like I'm getting much more bullets, like in 150 max with the higher priced quarterbacks because I just I don't need to salary that much on FanDuel. Um,
1: yeah, and a uh, oh, quick note here too, I want to throw this in there. You said the 300 yard, the, the types of passers. Uh, Kirk Cousins, if we take last year's stats and just divide it by week one salary, Kirk Cousins is the most underpriced quarterback on DraftKings this week, it's in terms of like point per dollar production. What he did last year, what his price is week one, that's because he can get those those three hundred yard bonuses over on FanDuel. Less valuable because he's not getting those the, that bonus. He's not getting the points in the same way.
0: Yeah, and like I, you know, everybody loves like Justin Jefferson, like Gavin Cook, like Irv Smith, like Adam Thielen, right? Like the Vikings have a great offense, but I don't want to play cousins, right? It's, it's yeah. cousins. I'm not gonna play cousins. <laughs> you know, like, man, if you're gonna play all these guys, you can't love all those guys, you know, like, not
1: love Cousins. I love cousins.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. I mean that's and that's one of those games like Minnesota, Green Bay. We have we don't really have any idea what's gonna happen. Like that that game could easily be the highest score game in the slate. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah we don't know like what Green Bay is gonna look like. We don't, you know, Minnesota's offense could look very different this year. Um, and like, and I, and I and I think the piece that everybody's going to gravitate to is Justin Jefferson and maybe some Dalvin Cook, but why not her Cousins um, and you know some of the more peripheral, you know, peripheral wide receivers, or just play Cousins with Jefferson? Like that's going to differentiate your lineup. It's going to give you a different salary structure than you know, especially in single entry. Like that's going to give you a different salary structure from all the other single entry lineups.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk too as we get deeper into the season about the idea of salary structure. Because what when we shift over from thinking about predicting what's likely is to happen and instead looking at how do we take advantage of what could happen, it, the thinking, the way I see it is every time, every time I get something right, I want to make sure that I'm maximizing like the amount of the field that I'm cutting out with that bet. So that if if, you know, in the example of like Mahomes and and Herbert, right? like if if Mahomes were ninety percent owned, and Herbert outscored him by 15 points, well, now you've cut out 90% of the field, essentially, right? And so if you're thinking about how your bets can kind of cut out portions of the field as you move up the, the leaderboards, well, that's harder to do as we get up to nine roster spots and all these different factors. So one of the big things is like, if if everybody is allocating salary in this way, and that's what, you know, we have um, Hilo writes for OWS and Hilo's, you know, taking game theory courses at Harvard and Yale and Stanford and Northwestern and every weekend on, on Saturday in the end around in the scroll, he, he'll he break down the chalk build for the week. And he it's Saturday. It's the day before the slate kicks off. And he will give the exact chalk build that everybody's going to have. And he's right week in and week out of like, here's how people are thinking. Here's where their salary is going to be allocated. And then most people think, well, I don't want Jonathan Taylor because everyone's on him. So I'll go to a different high price running back. But their salary structure is still the same. So they're there's picks in other spots they still have the same options in other spots right if you start your roster from a totally different place than everybody else from a salary structure standpoint all of a sudden you have a different roster than everybody else and so if things start breaking down for that roster then things are coming together more and more for your roster and and like i said you don't have to be the highest scoring you don't have to put up the 270 point score that that you know, nobody can beat, you just have to have the score that nobody can beat that week. And a lot of times that's about what everybody else is going to falling apart.
0: Yeah. As I, I literally right before the show. And just so people know, we're recording this on Wednesday this week. I think our goal is to be recording this on Thursday and Friday as we go forward. Which and so we'll probably get a lot more into like the specifics of that that particular week in, in future shows. But as just taking an initial look at the slate. I think, I think people are going to spend down a wide receiver. Like you've got Michael Pittman. It's like really affordable. I think 5,500, that's that's just a silly price. I think a lot of people are going to be able to then fit in like Jonathan Taylor if they're using cheaper wide receivers. There's no real running back this week that's like a screaming value, which in a lot of weeks we will, especially as we get farther into the season, we'll have like screaming value running backs that are mispriced because of injury. But I think if yeah, if you spend down at running back this week, there's still some good viable options, especially once you consider we know nothing, right? We don't know anything. Um, and then if you are spending up at wide receiver, I think you're going to get much different. Um, I think like anything at tight end, right? Travis Kelsey and, and Pitts are probably going to be very highly owned. Um, just the, the two tight ends that stick out in my initial read on the week. But yeah, if you go with basically any other like tight end, I think you're going to be a little bit different. So I'm just trying to look at my, the tight end ownership to make sure I'm not leaving out anybody uh that's going to be highly owned but i think it's, it's going to be kelsey and pitts i guess mark andrews as well will have some ownership um and then yeah and then just like just gotta tweak the defense like defenses i think in single entry for football are probably the easiest and most efficient way to, to differentiate uh unless there's a, a massive weather edge or or some kind of massive like rookie quarterback going into you know bad weather game against a good defense um like because the defensive scoring is just so random, right? You can you can see some situation where you think the defense is gonna obviously obliterate, you know, the opposing quarterback, and then some other team's defense runs back two punts, and that's the defense you had to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember a qualifier where I needed the Panthers. It was when Sunday night games were still included on the main slate, and I needed the Panthers just scored two points for me to win the qualifier. And it was back when the Panthers defense was good. They scored 10 to 12 points every week and they got zero points that that game, right? You just, you don't know with, with defense, special teams, especially week one, where there's so many unknowns and every nobody's playing their third option at quarterback, right? Everybody's playing their, their best guy. Everybody's healthy. And so we're that much less likely to see one of these games where somebody is just making dumb, like, Chicago is 2,200 this week on, on DraftKings. And there's a lot of sharp people. Hilo's brought this up. There's a lot of sharp people who are placing bets on, on Trey Lance leading the NFL in interceptions this year, right? Like nobody's going to want to go to Chicago at 2,200, but they're a home defense. They're 2,200. How much can they hurt you? And, you know, there's a chance that this thing plays out in their favor. And And, you know, when people are kind of going to the certain, the more what feels like more certain stuff, you can kind of look for stuff like that and find the places to be different. I think defense is an interesting one too, just because like you said, there are situations where we can get in this habit of saying defense is unpredictable. And then it's like Matt Schaub is starting against a good defense. And, and you just, you know that there's going to be points scored and you have to kind of take advantage of that. You don't have to be different everywhere. You just have to find a handful of buttons that you're going to push that make your roster really different from whatever else is out there.
0: Yeah, actually, it brings me back. I used to run correlations on projections from different sites, like for my own, own personal use. Uh, you know, I was looking at like correlations of at different positions for for NFL across like the you know industry wide projections. And week one, I think it was two years in a row, the week one defensive projections across the industry were negatively correlated to the actual score, meaning like the higher projected the defense was like the better chance it had a lower actual DFS score. Um, Cause yeah, we, we don't know anything. And it, that's a great point. Like, and that's actually two things. We're never going to see like the, you know, less injuries in week one of the NFL season, probably never going to see better weather either. Um, and I, it brings me actually the exception to feeding the chalk defense is like, I, I always go into single entry with a mindset that I want to like, I'll argue opinions. I don't want to argue facts. So like, I, I won't, like I, I won't argue whether right if if it's like if there's like literally ice falling from the sky for some rookie quarterback, like well that's that was not factored into the score. <laughs> you know, <or> the <laughs> racing, when they when they came out with the prices, um, I, it doesn't matter if that's you know, I, I, I'll take a chalky defense if the guy literally is not going to be able to hold on to the ball because you know ice falling from the sky or wind or wherever the case may be or some yeah yeah they're on their you know they literally just signed this quarterback on Wednesday because because they're down to their you know fourth string guy and then he pulled a Kendall,
1: Kendall Hinton starting for the Broncos something like that yeah yeah,
0: yeah exactly um yeah I remember like the you know washington football team I had mark sanchez like years after he retired. <laughs> he just, you retired he's just oh we got to sign somebody like oh it's crazy. um like, yeah he you, you actually might not have had
1: that bad of a game now, <laughs>
0: now that i think so, about it
1: put, put but put me in coach you, i'll play <laughs> yeah but yeah just
0: i mean i think defense is is you know highly variable but yeah i i don't want to argue against like facts like it was just a fact like, this guy's it's his you know first nfl game in three years and he was signed in midweek well um, but yeah, you know, like if it's an opinion, like well, I think this team, you know, I, I think Washington has a <laughs> Jacksonville. You know,
1: like well, that's your opinion.
0: You know, I, that that opinion should not be like fifteen percent owned. You
1: know, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen uh, the Pixar movie Inside Out? Yeah, and it says uh, oh, oh, this, they're on the train of thought. He says all these facts and opinions look so similar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it, that's it, it, the, people. People conflate those two, and they're like they're like, well, this guy sucks because of these stats that I looked up. And it's like, well, those stats prove that he's performed poorly in the past. That doesn't, we don't know, right? These stats show that Tom Brady should be a sixth round draft pick and, you know, isn't going to make it into a second year in the NFL. We don't know these guys as humans. We don't know their situations. We don't know the situations they're being drafted into. And we can kind of take those preconceived notions, those biases. I think that that helped me a ton in MLB early on is I had been a huge Red Sox fan for decades and kind of watched like a hundred plus Red Sox games every year. I don't know how I had that much time on my hands back then, but watched all these Red Sox games. But all I really knew was the Red Sox and the AL East because the Red Sox played those teams all the time. I didn't know any of the other teams. And so I had to come into DFS from a research standpoint with no biases about these other players. This guy's great, this guy sucks. And so I was just taking the stats and doing the research and doing what was kind of the sharpest by the numbers plays. And every day it would be differentiated from what everybody else had. Whereas once we get into something like NFL where we've all poured so much time into fantasy and and read all this content and watched all these clips and we know all this stuff, it becomes that much harder to say, oh, maybe this guy is great. Maybe this spot is really good. Um, and, and you know, even things like, I talk about how our perceptions of players are formed. Clyde Edwards Hilaire's price stayed so high for so long and his ownership remained so high because that first game of his, he had first round draft capital, which at the time everyone was like, really, first round pick? Had first round draft capital attached to himself. His first game, national TV, had a big game. And I think it was Sunday night football and it was Collinsworth, but whoever the announcer was kept, talking about how great Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was and that stuck in everyone's minds. And you got a guy like Chris Carson or Elijah Mitchell and people are always waiting for that guy to be replaced by some other running back on the roster because they're like, well, you know, sixth round pick, seventh round pick, undrafted free agent, whoever these guys are. And it's like, uh, yeah, this guy's not really that good. Eventually he's going to get replaced in the ultra. I mean, Elijah Mitchell, the only player who who had a better, no, no no player on DraftKings had a better point per, per dollar production based on their week one price and last year's scoring then Elijah Mitchell. And who's going to play like, he's a, what, a seven point favorite, something like that against a bad defense. And nobody's going to want to play the guy at 50, I think 5,400. And then everybody's going to play all the 5k wide receivers instead. And we also think too much about positional stuff. If we look at kind of where scoring comes from, DraftKings pricing is sharp. The point-per-dollar production on that 8K wide receiver overtime is going to be the same as the point-per-dollar production on the 8K running back. So stop thinking as much about, well, I've got to get the high-priced running back. I've got to do this, that, right? If everybody else is on high-priced running backs, maybe you go Elijah Mitchell and Miles Sanders. That roster, I've I've messed around with some Elijah Mitchell, Miles Sanders rosters this week. As soon as you do that, the rest of your roster is different. And as soon as you do that, your feeling is, these are my running backs. And if you have that feeling, you – can identify it and recognize that everybody else has that feeling too, especially if that's their one roster. They're like, I don't want to roll with Elijah Mitchell and Miles Sanders on my one roster. But, you know, over time, those decisions make you a lot more money.
0: Yeah, actually, kind of like Edward Zolaire as a as a running back, <laughs> especially a single entry. I actually I noticed he was like he was absent from the one week season uh, recap of that game, or like that the like the write up of that game. I was like, like I, I don't know exactly what his situation is, but I'm like, I think that you know Kansas City is going to be highly owned, you know, in in tournaments. And nobody's going to have games. him. Yeah, yeah. And so if like, what if that game's a little bit slower paced because they just keep running the ball, he or if he just gets the touchdowns. Right, like he just know, gets the touchdowns,
1: touchdown. exactly. Yeah,
0: so like I think playing right like, running back differentiators is really big because they get the touchdowns. So, like people want the the Philly game, right? They want Eagles, they want Jalen Hurts. Like, well, what if Miles Sanders gets the touchdowns? Like, I think Sanders was the guy last year, right? He was like allergic to touchdowns. Uh, but what if? I mean, yeah, it was you know it's week one. We know that nothing that was last year. What if Sanders gets two touchdowns uh, and then? You, you're knocking a bunch of Jalen Hurts teams down um, because yeah, you know, Sanders yeah. is getting touchdowns instead of,
1: and this, instead of those combo punches is what I call them. Is where you're like, it's not you're not just taking Miles Sanders because you think he's a good play. If Miles Sanders hits, he doesn't just help your roster. He he hurts other rosters. If Clyde Edwards Hilaire hits, he's helping your roster and hurting a ton of other rosters because you're gonna have a lot of Kansas City players on other rosters, and so it's fine to find the value guy that people aren't on, but if all you're getting is, is that guy's points in a vacuum, then that's way less powerful than finding the value guy that people aren't on that's on a team where everybody's on that guy's teammates, because you're, we're trying to get first place. I think that that's probably a, a pretty important thing to stamp down here is that that's a style of thinking you have to have in DFS tournament play. So many people think about what gets me in the money but if you're going to do that, go play cash games, right? First place is where all the money is in tournaments, and so once you shift over to that, you're saying, okay, I'm I'm playing for first place. If this guy fails, well, that's fine. I wasn't getting first place anyway. But if this guy hits, he's helping me and hurting all these other rosters. Yeah, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I um, he's one of those I know too much to to um, to play him. But then when you talk about the theory behind it, it's like. Literally, all he needs is the touchdowns. You know what? Who? You know who I like this week? Josh Jacobs. Speaking of us not knowing anything, right? Zamir White is probably not going to step in in Week One and get all these touches. We've seen the the Garrett Blunt heavy touchdown roll with Josh McDaniels. We've seen the Damian Harris heavy touchdown roll with Josh McDaniels. Everybody's betting on this game blowing up. What everybody thinks about is, oh well, if it's a shootout, then Jacobs is getting fewer carries. I don't care about carries. I don't care if he's getting. 60 rushing yards instead of 80 rushing yards. If there's a lot of touchdowns being scored, there's a chance that the Raiders keep getting down inside the five yard line and Jacob scores three touchdowns and and he's 1% owned because all the narrative has been like, well, we don't know if he still has this role. And and you can do one thing like that and it just, your whole roster set apart. You know, like there's ways to play Jacob's within that game to where you literally wouldn't have to worry about strategy anywhere else on your roster in single entry because your roster is automatically that different and then you can just play who you want to play the salary structure is different the the kind of core bet is different and then you can just play your favorite plays from there and um yeah like thinking about touchdowns thinking about where those points come from i mean there's so many like roots level things that we should be getting down to when we're building our dfs rosters that most people aren't and again it's one of the cool things about single entry is it forces you to focus on one roster at a time and think through all the layers so that ideally, you know, you're kind of learning these things week in and week out and then putting together a better roster. And you can start expanding that into more builds, but it kind of forces you to become a better DFS player.
0: Yeah. You're thinking about how am I getting that, you know, that leverage off of other, other rosters. Like I, I know what the other rosters in this tournament are going to vaguely look like. And I, I, you know, as you asked about, like how do I do ownership as a gut feel? And I, I always think like guys, you know, in week one, guys that people are down on in season long are going to be underowned, and young rookies like, oh, I'm probably the only guy that's ever heard of this guy are going to be overowned, owned uh, And, you know, particularly because it's week one, like it's week one and these coaches, it's very viable for these coaches to think, or you know, it's, it's reasonable for these coaches to say, look, it's this guy's first NFL game. I'm not going to put him in a position, you know, where he's going to fail. Um, and I'm not going to rely on him to, you know, to, you know, score three the three touchdowns.
1: Yeah. Was it? I said not not going to rely on him to win the game for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so but like they're gonna be overowned. Like any any rookie is gonna be overowned this week, uh, relative to their chance of success. Like there's just not that many rookie, like especially wide receivers, tight ends, uh, that come in and and has just have outstanding success from week one of their their NFL career. It takes the, all these guys' time, and it's it's just about the time we've forgot you know, started to forget about them right where they really start to turn on. Like, I think there was like a Justin Jefferson thing. It was Jonathan Taylor. Like they started their careers pretty slowly. Um, and you had to keep sitting there and Oh, this is the guy. It's like the, the first round draft pick, right? Like I think he's going to work his way in at some point this season. And then by the end of the year, they're you know, doing tremendously well. I think like Cam Akers, like, was another uh, guy. I mean, he obviously got hurt uh, last year, but he was another guy that, that kind of fit that role of just coming on towards the end of the season so we want to be remembering those guys, those highly touted rookies, towards the end of the year when we, everybody else has forgotten about them. Week one, we don't necessarily want to be playing them. We want to be playing the veterans that everybody's down on, like Josh Jacobs, like Antonio Gibson. You know, has a pretty good setup this week. Great uh, setup and, this week, yeah. Yeah, and people are down on him because it looked like Brian Robinson was going to be the guy, and and then and they re-signed J.D. McKissick, and all of those are are valid. But for week one, Antonio Gibson might be the guy at, you know, gang, going against a bad, you know, relatively bad Jacksonville defense. Uh, so, yeah, keep those veterans in mind week one.
1: Yeah, and when you, when you say Antonio Gibson, the, like, the immediate reaction is like, yeah, but that's a yucky play. But then if we rewind to literally a year ago when he had the exact same role that we expect him to have for week one, we're not worried about deeper into the season when Brian Robinson comes back. worried about right now and he literally has the exact same role there's no there's unless they give jd if if you're like yeah but they're not going to give antonio gibson the touches they don't trust him then you better be playing jd mckissick because jd mckissick is pretty awesome and then you're saying you're essentially saying well he's going to get all the touches and speaking of that team and and the what you're saying before about the rookies I was, you know, I'm in best ball mind, and I'm in reading every day's training camp reports mind, and I see Jahan Dotson at 3,400, and I'm like, ooh, nobody's going to anything about Jahan Dotson. Everybody's thinking about George Pickens and Wendell Robinson and these other rookies. And then I look at, and it, it was like Monday ownership projection, so it'll change dramatically, but I look at initial ownership projections, and it was like 15% Jahan Dotson. And I'm like, oh, come on, you know? And then at that point, you you say, it's like, what? what John said is true. Like these rookies are not going to pop off at like a high percentage of like a high rate of return. It's just not the way that things work in the NFL. And then you can say, okay, well, if everybody's on this play, nobody's on Antonio Gibson, but yeah, like if it had been last year, Antonio Gibson would be one of the guys who would be developing into chalk in the same role. And now he's against Jacksonville it's a good spot, right? By the way, if I were playing, if I were playing not single entry, because I messed around with this for single entry this week, I would be interested in that uh, Carson Wentz stacks too, just because you've got Carson Wentz against Doug Peterson, who that's like about as messy of a relationship split as you could have. If Wentz is gonna have a big game, it's gonna be week one against uh, against Doug Peterson. I literally, I literally liked it enough that I was like, hey, can I do this in single entry? No, I can't, but something for you guys to think about in large field play.
0: Yeah, that's it's interesting. I am a Washington <laughs> fan. Like I, I live, I grew up in the DC area. I live in the DC area now. And just like signing Carson Wentz, just doesn't seem like a good idea. But again, just doesn't have to be a good idea for the season. It just has to be a good idea for Week One, right? Like that's that's how, how tournaments are won. I actually I love I,
1: that that's interesting. <laughs> I, I
0: I was thinking about like the the tight end, like Logan Thomas as well, um, and like tight end in general. You know, on DraftKings, like it's still a position where you can get $2,500 guys, and that's going to be a huge, like, that's a big differentiator. I think the people are going to be gravitating towards the well known, higher priced tight ends. Like, if a guy's $2,500 and gets gets a touchdown, you know, gets a a few catches, like he can put up a single digit score as long as the high priced tight ends don't go absolutely berserk, and then that $2,500 is giving you. Salary that like you can use to get combinations of higher priced players that other people can't get. Um, so like if you, you know, it's so, like yeah, if you want to combine like Mahomes and Jonathan Taylor and some of these higher priced guys, but instead of going Kelsey, you go like a twenty five hundred dollar tight end, and there's a few of them that are I think are starting this week that are twenty five hundred. Um, then yeah, that's a that's a salary differentiator that's giving you a totally different roster construction, you know, particularly in single entry.
1: Yeah. And another layer too that I like to do there is I like to think about if I'm, if so you said, as long as one of the high priced tight ends doesn't go ham, right? As long as one of the high priced tight end doesn't just go nuts, nuclear, you're in good shape with your 12 to 15 points from this cheap guy. So then you can also say, how does Travis Kelsey not go nuclear if I expect Kansas City to still have a good game offensively? Well, Travis Kelsey not going nuclear probably means Juju or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or McCole Hardman or one of these guys is getting points. Mark Andrews not going nuclear probably means that Rashad Bateman is getting points. And so then you can take that next layer to say, this is what I was talking about with, I want every time I'm right on something, I want to advance past the field as much as possible. I want to say what what gives me my best shot at first place would not just be this cheap tight end hitting, but these expensive tight ends missing. So if they miss, I'm either betting that that game misses Or, you know, I mean, they could have, you know, a 12, 15, 20 point game and and nobody blows up in that game. Right. But just tournament thinking like what increases my chances of vaulting up to first place? Well, now where other people might not even see this as a correlated play, something like Brevin Jordan plus Rashad Bateman plus Juju Smith-Schuster is actually highly correlated because you're basically saying I am needing these other high priced tight ends to not go off. And ideally, if they're not going off one of these other players on their team is going off. And I think that that's a step that, you know, when people say, oh, there's no edge in DFS. Well, so, I mean, first off, Squirrels are going to eight live finals every year. There's still an edge in DFS, right? And you're playing in sharp players generally in these qualifiers as well. And so it's just that, I said this about everyone drafting for week 17 and best ball this year. If, if everyone's on the same edge, it's no longer an edge, right? And so we're at a point where people are like, oh, there's no edge in DFS because the things that were the edge two or three years ago might no longer be the edge. So then we have to say, okay, those are now found, like you still draft for week 17 in best ball, but what's everybody going to be chasing next year, right? Like that's a foundational piece now. So some of the things that were the edge two, three, four years ago, those still work, but those are more like foundational pieces now. And then you have to be like, okay, so what's the next piece? What are other people not thinking of and that's the new edge, right? And so, people are like, "Well, everyone's correlating, so is the edge not correlating?" No, because NFL scoring is correlated, so that's why it works. But now they're just correlating, right? They're not thinking through the next layers, and and those are the little things that can really set us apart. Is when we're saying, "What story gets my roster to first place?" And honestly, this is way more. This is a way more fun way to play DFS anyway. Is being able to think through the angles recognizing that you're literally outmaneuvering the field in ways that are plus EV over time. And then you put the roster in play. You have no stress about whether or not it works out on that Sunday. Cause ideally you're managing your bankroll to a level where it's like, well, if I lose this Sunday, that's fine. I know that I'm making decisions that play out in my favor over time. Right. You can check back. I I, I mean, I don't even watch football on Sundays most of the time anymore. I wait till Mondays. I watch all the condensed games to catch up on everything. I, check my scores in the, in the evenings to see how I did, you know, cause it's like, whatever I'm putting in rosters that are going to make money over time. If it's not this week, it's next week or the next week or, or week five next season or whatever it is like my EV is going to play out. I don't have to, I don't have to worry too much about the individual slate. It's a much more fun way to play because you're kind of thinking in different ways and everybody else is thinking. And you're not saying they're like, oh, I can't choose between patch Mahomes and Justin Herbert. Who's going to have a better game. We don't know. They're probably both going to have good games you got to pick one and then just build intelligently around them
0: yeah yeah we we don't play dfs because it's easy we play because it's hard right that's what makes it <laughs> like i can play the lottery and that's easy like i just get get assigned some numbers and wait to see if they hit right like i like the challenge of of trying to predict the future right in 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 a football fun you know fashion Dan, we I think we were aiming for thirty minutes. We're about twice <laughs> that right now. <laughs> so, any any final week one thoughts, or you know, thoughts on single entry this week?
1: No, I probably should have mentioned this the at the beginning. But uh, everything on one week season is always free week one, and we always I what I always say is um, we kind of build the site around it's you know it, I've always seen it as like a supplemental site where it's like we focus on DFS training, so it's just a good second site to be using essentially. But um, we also make everything free week one every year. So I think that the one of the things I would say is if the site's for you, we build it for people who it's for, right? So if it's for you, then it's really for you. If it's not for you, you'll know right away and then you move on. And so, uh, yeah, check it out and you'll get a sense of whether or not it's for you. But also, I mean, I'll be on here every week. A lot of you guys, a lot of you maybe know me already from my years at Roto-Grinders, but maybe not because that was a half decade ago. So if not, hi, I'm JM. Nice to meet you. Uh, but yeah, we'll be here every week and um, talking about this stuff. And you can get kind of a deeper sense of of all this and and come over to OWS if you want some more of that. And obviously stay on Roto-Grinders, too, because there's phenomenal stuff here, especially with Squirrel kind of uh, giving you the good. So, yeah, I just want to throw that in there. And I'm super excited to do this every week. It's fun to talk. Like you said, we'll be able to dive into the weeds at the individual weeks, but it's fun to talk the theory as well and just really get in there on the strategy stuff. Cause this is, I mean, where you, you can become such a better DFS player, just thinking about this stuff. So yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, thank you for listening, everybody. Like leave some feedback. I think future weeks will probably get a little bit more into like the weeds of each, like the particular slate and the players and the injury situations. But, yeah. Thank you for listening and uh, leave any feedback in the comments or wherever you can leave feedback. <laughs>